0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, we, as Pastor said, are wrapping up our series, Finding Freedom, and it has been So good. How many of you have been walking around putting bows on things? You know, each of my children every morning, I'm like, put a bow on it, put a bow on it, put a bow on it. If you missed that, go online and watch that message. And how about last week? I mean, some of your best work, babe. How do you come up with boxes in my feelings, doors? I will not be preaching with any props today. I have enough trouble just getting my words out. I don't need to complicate it with that. But Come back next week and Pastor will be up here introducing our new series and that is the ushering in of our seventh anniversary as a church. Can you believe that? Seven years. <clears throat> That's right. Well, I want to have fun with you today. I am excited about this message. I believe it's going to be a good message. and you can help me by encouraging me, okay? So you can talk back to me, you can say yes, you can clap, you can do whatever you want. And that's not for me. That's just to say that God is doing something in you, okay? I know with Pastor Justin, sometimes we wanna be like reserved and quiet because he's so over the top for all of us. But for me, I need some help to encourage me. So if you could do that for me this morning, I would really appreciate it. And I don't ask much, just a little thing. But... All right, so we have been looking at the life of Paul, <clears throat> and I love Paul. Paul's a great guy, but I thought we should shake it up a little bit for the final week. So we're going to look at a new character, and there are beautiful characters in the Bible. There are characters that teach us how to be kind, how to hear the voice of God, how to, how to lead. But what I love about this particular character is it's all these attributes in one, and it's a woman. You excited to hear about some women today? The character that I want to talk to you about, she was not only powerful, but she was prophetic. She was not only strong, but she was sensitive. She not only responded to the call of God upon her life, but she reclaimed what was entitled to the children of Israel. So today we're going to look at the life of Deborah. But before we get to Deborah, we need to have an understanding about leadership. Now when I say that word, that word leadership carries a lot of weight, and maybe you're kind of like, ooh, that's that's not me. Well, stick with me, and I'm gonna show you that it is you. The Bible tells us in Second Chronicles 16:9 that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to f- strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. So God is looking for people. No matter where you're at, what you've done, what's happened to you, no matter your age, your skin color, your social economic status, the creator of the heaven and the earth not only has the ability, but the desire to reclaim your life. He can use you and he wants to use you. But somewhere along the line, we've lost this, this confidence. We've lost some of our freedom. And I think it's time that we reclaim what is ours. We need to step up and say, God, use me. I've come here with nothing but all that you have given me. Use me, God. So if you're ready, that's what we're going to do today. And I'm calling this message, Reclaim Your Leadership. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you that it's alive, it's breathing, Lord. It brings life, it brings clarity, Lord. We thank you that it's not just some piece of history that happened years ago, Lord, but that it's relevant to us today, that there's so much that we can lean in and learn from it. Lord, I pray that you be with me, Lord, that you would clear up whatever's going on in my throat right now, Lord. I pray that you would open the ears of everyone who hears my voice, Lord. Help me to be a vessel to speak what you would have today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Are there any um, DIYers in the house? You know what a DIY is, do it yourself? Yes. Um, This probably does not come as a surprise to any of you that the Jenkins family are not DIYers, (laughs) not not at all. I mean, I think I could be, because we've had our house for five years now, and one of the things that attracted us to our house when we bought it, besides the cute front porch, was the fact that it was pretty much move-in ready, because we do not have the ability or the drive to do things and anything that has been done in our house has been done by me and i and i don't mean to be dishonoring or disrespectful but like that's just not my husband's sweet spot you know it's not like he relieves stress by building something or you know like tinkering with things that's not like he relieves stress by preaching that's what he does but i like our house i'm glad we live there i'm you know don't see us moving anytime soon But there's one thing that I've always kind of not liked about my house, and that's been our front landscaping. Now, I blame it on our neighbor, Jan. Jan's no longer with us. She moved to New Mexico. It's not like she's on the other side, okay? It's okay. But her yard was amazing because all Jan ever did was yard work. She made the whole neighborhood look bad because her yard was that good. Do any of you, are any of you that people? Are you, are you like cutting your grass three times a week, fertilizing it? Yeah, me either. Well, when Jan moved out, I kind of thought, okay, now's our chance because the new Jan does not love her yard nearly as much as the old Jan did. So I thought, even if we just do a little something, like, we'll look good. And so I began the, the task of having to convince my husband about this. So I started with researching on Pinterest, pulling up some pictures. And then, you know, I thought like, it can't be that hard. So I'm just gonna, um, I'm just gonna put the Menards ads by his chair. You know, the ones that say like 11% rebate, because I don't want to say my husband's cheap, but he's cheap. Okay. And, um, then I thought like, Maybe I did have this slide. I was like, maybe it'd be easier just to convince him to buy me a new house. But I was like, that's too much work for me. So I'm gonna keep on this. And I think what finally did it, like the cherry on top, is when Pastor Jacob from our West Campus said, hey, I'm redoing my landscaping and I have free rock. And I was like, babe, it doesn't get any cheaper than free. So we went and got the rock and the rock sat for a while. And then finally one day, about six weeks ago, he came to me and said, hey, I'm gonna gonna get started on this, this landscaping for you. And I was like, Wow, like it wasn't my birthday, it wasn't Mother's Day, like he had just taken me to Europe, so like I knew like, you know, he was already in good graces, but anyway, I was like, you you go do that. I will bring you vitamin water all day long. So, he got started on the yard and I didn't get a before picture because I forgot to, but I took a picture of where we're at now and I think I think we have this picture. Yeah. See, we are not DIYers, <laughs> that, that is dead trees and a wheelbarrow sitting in our front yard. Six weeks, people. Actually, I'm kidding. Our yard does not look like this anymore because you see, this is not my first preaching re- rodeo and I never preach for free. Whenever he says, I want you to preach, it comes at a cost. And so he said, I want you to preach, and I said, I want to stop being that neighbor. Could you at least move the wheelbarrow? And he did more than that. He moved the wheelbarrow. He put the rocks out. He worked all Friday night, all day yesterday, and my yard looks a million times better. So there may be hope for us to be on one of those DIY shows, you know, maybe the ones that goes wrong after all, but isn't it funny how we can easily qualify or disqualify ourselves from things? You know, I look at Pinterest and I think, oh, that, that couldn't be that hard. And then you get going and it's actually a lot harder than you thought. So you leave it for a day or a week or a month. And then when you come back, suddenly the progress that you had now made has sat dormant for so long that weeds have crept in. And the ground that was once primed and ready has now turned hard again. And you realize what she once had so much traction on, now you have to go back and reclaim it just so you can try and move forward. And I think we spend a lot of our lives in that cycle. We do some self work, we make progress, then we get distracted or frustrated so we give up. Then we go to church and we hear an amazing message and you're like, okay, now I've gotta get back to that but now all these weeds have crept in and gosh, if it was just easier then I could, then I could be that person that God was looking for. Or even if we don't do that, we fail to see ourselves as God sees us. We're so good at excuses. We're so good at saying, I'm not a leader. I'm just a mom, or I'm just a student, or I'm just an employee. But what we fail to see is who we really are. You are a child of God, and that's all you need to be used by God. And as Christians, we are called to lead people to Christ. So by default, that makes us a leader, so let's lead. And it's not only God that's looking for leaders, but we live in a time where people are craving leadership. I recently heard about some research conducted at UC Berkeley, and this blew my mind. The study said that 87% of people want a leader, but 20% say that they have been a leader, and only 8% of people consider themselves to be a leader. So there's this breakdown between us wanting leadership and seeing ourselves as leaders. God is looking for leaders, and so my question for you today is, are you willing? Maybe you're in that 20% category that at one time you thought of yourself as a leader, but maybe you left it for a bit and the weeds crept in and now you're like, I don't even know where to begin. How to be a leader. That's where Deborah comes in. Her story is a beautiful illustration of how to be a great leader of how we can go from dormant to beautiful and flourishing, strong leaders. So if you have your phone with you, you can open up your Bible app, or if you have your actual Bible, you can do that, or we're going to put it on the screen, and I have a lot of scripture to get through. We're going to be camped out in Judges chapter 4. And as we go through this story, we're going to meet a lot of characters, and I want you to pay careful attention to each of the characters and, and think of their story as we're talking about them. Because I believe that this story will challenge your assumptions about who and what you can be. So here's a little bit about Deborah. Deborah was amazing. She was not only a judge, but she was a prophet. And a prophet someone who hears the voice of God and is able to speak it out. Now, in the whole book of Judges, she was the only one to have both of these titles. And that's a lot to carry. I mean, I've talked about trying to figure out, you know, am I a mom now? Am I a leader now? Am I a wife now? Like, what's my place? Can you imagine what it must have been like for Deborah? And not only was she the only judge with that title in the book of Judges, but in the whole Old Testament, there were only two other people with this title, and that was Samuel and Moses. Deborah is leading God's people, and it's important to note that she did not strong arm her way into it. She didn't have a, you know, political campaign that was like, vote for me, Deborah for judge. Like, none of that happened Judges, too, says that God raises up the judges. It's God who anoints and appoints, so you don't have to fight for that struggle. All you have to do is rise to the call, and that's what Deborah did. And let's just take a moment to mention that in 2018, we have come a long way in women's rights and empowering women, but still, when there is a female in a high position of power or authority, she has some obstacles to come over, to overcome. What do you think it must have been like for Deborah? How many times must she have heard, Deborah, you you can't? Deborah, you shouldn't. Deborah, you won't. And yet, she did. That's why I love her story so much. I'm so inspired and encouraged by the way that she leads. Okay, so let's get into our story. Let's catch you up a little bit on what's happening. There was a judge named Ehud, and he was a good judge, and he led God's people, but when he died, things took a turn, okay? It was like Girls Gone Wild, TMZ, you know, like whoop, whoop. They were in their feelings. It was crazy. When the children departed from the way of the Lord and they did not listen to the judges and they ran amok, what happened was the Canaanite army rose up and oppressed them. Now, Jabin was the king, but the real oppressor of the Israelite people was a man named Sisera who was leading the army at that time. All right, so let's start reading in verse three of Judges chapter four. It says, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoph, was leading Israel at that time. Okay, so picture this, 900 chariots primed for battle against children who had nothing. They were smaller in number. They didn't have a sword, a spear, a shield, nothing. They were going up against an army of 40,000 men, 900 chariots that were fitted for battle. And the Israelites were like, Duh, uh, we got God? At the end of verse 3, it says, they cried to the Lord for help. They'd been running amok, doing their thing, and they cried to the Lord for help. And isn't God good? I mean, we can do our own thing, and then we can cry to the Lord for help. And Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, I call to the Lord, and he answers me every time. Even if you've been acting a fool, he will answer you. That's just a little something extra for you, not really part of my message. It's like, it's like when you get your order of french fries, and at the very bottom you find an onion ring. You're like, ah, bonus, you know? That's what that, I'm your onion ring. All right. Verse 6. She sent for Barak and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Nepali and Zebulun and lead them to Mount Tabar. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. How many times has God asked you to do things and, you're, and you don't? You're like, oh, that's not for me, or I can't, or I don't want to. That's kind of what's happening here. We see that Barack has some indecision and Deborah has confidence. She reminds him, You've got to go to battle, Barack. God's with you. You will win. You will be fine. Here's the first thing I see about how Deborah leads. And if we want to reclaim our leadership, we need to know that leaders speak with truth and grace. Deborah was speaking with truth here, she was encouraging Barack. And, and I feel for Barack. They were going up against a very real battle. It was a four-to-one ratio. This didn't make sense. They were going into battle with no weapons. They were outnumbered. On paper, this does not seem like a good plan. But instead of coming in and ripping him down, Deborah chose to speak truth to Barack. We need to be the kind of people that can speak truth when there are doubts. She says, hasn't God given you the battle plan? You you do this. Go gather these people, and I'll lead them into your hands. But because of his fear, and rightfully so, he says to Deborah in verse 8, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak was doubting and says, if you don't go with me, I won't win. And again, Deborah just speaks the truth in love, and she says, okay, I will go with you, but you need to know that the victory that should be yours is not going to be yours if I go with you. It's going to be that of a woman. She didn't use this opportunity to berate him or to destroy him or to tear him down. She just simply spoke the truth in love. And as leaders, we have to know that we have the ability to break people or build people up. Deborah inspired confidence in Barack. He didn't need an inspiring speech. He didn't need two thumbs up and a pat on the back. No, he needed hope. He needed to borrow hope from Deborah, and that's just what he did. And, you know, I want to be like that. I want to be the type of leader, the type of mom, the type of wife that people can borrow hope from, that I speak in truth and grace. I want to give a God confidence to everyone around me. So leaders speak in truth and grace. And the second thing that I think will help us reclaim our leadership is this. Leaders must trust in something bigger than themselves. You know, it's one thing to say to someone, hey, God be with you, or I'm praying for you, or my personal favorite, oh, I'm really sorry you're going through this life tragedy, but I'm gonna send good thoughts for you. I don't want your good thoughts, okay? You know what I want when I'm in the middle of the battle? I want someone to stand beside me and say, I so believe in you, and I so believe in the call of God on your life that I'm gonna stand with you through this battle until we see victory on the other side. I wish I could say I do this right every time. But one of the many things that I love about this church is we are full of leaders that do this that will go to bat for you, that will stand with you, that will hold your arms up when you can't hold them. When you are in the battle, they are right there beside you. And that's why it is so important that you don't just come to church, but you make this church your home, that you get on a team, that you get in a community group, that you're doing life with people that can pull out the God call that's on you and stand with you when you need someone to stand with you. Deborah had that kind of faith, and Deborah inspired that in Barak. And in verses 10 through 13, we see that Barak rounds up his men, and Sisera rounds up his chariots, and let's pick up in verse 14. Deborah says to Barak, "'Go, this is the day the Lord "'has given Sisera into your hands. "'Has not the Lord gone ahead of you?' "'So Barak went down to Mount Tabor "'with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Heroseth Hegeum, and Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Hebar, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin the king of Hazar and the family of Heber, the Kenite. Would you look at that just as God promised he did? We need to be the type of people that when God says the victory is ours, we believe the victory is ours. God's giving us words and promises of what he's called us to be, and he will not fail us. But it's not going to be easy because we have an enemy that wants nothing more than to rob us of what God has for us. Satan's going to speak things over us. He's going to tell us lies, and you need to know that the enemy is a liar. You see, Satan, he knows your name, but he will call you by your sin every single time. But Jesus knows your sin and still chooses to call you by your name. There's an enemy coming up against us, and you might not have the weapons, and you might not have the men or the team or the education, but what you have is God, and the god is a god who will rescue and redeem and reclaim who we are so we don't have to live enslaved to our sins or our fears we are free to live in Christ in verse 18 it says jael went out to meet sisera and said to him come my lord come right in don't be afraid so he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket he said i'm thirsty Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. If you know me at all, you know I love a good reality show, and I don't think it gets any better than this. Sisera makes the fatal mistake of having Jael lie. He says, if anyone comes looking for me, just say I'm not here. The Bible doesn't tell us why she went a little bit crazy and killed him, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from God's word for just a minute and kind of give my own opinion. Jael was a real housewife of Israel, you know, I would totally watch that show. She was just home, minding her own business. She was probably sweeping the floor, folding some laundry, thinking about, you know, what are we going to have for dinner? Like, everything I have is, you know, not, not ready to be prepared. Gosh, it would be nice if I could just go out for dinner tonight. And she's just minding her own business, and she looks out her front window. And she sees 40,000 men running that way and one dude running this way, and I bet there's a moment in her head that she's like, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Have you ever looked out to your front window and thought, this, what I'm seeing, is not normal? Pro tip, I have, and it's not normal, and stop looking out the window. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Now, I can put myself in Jael's shoes because I already said, I love my house. I love my people. I love 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 my minivan and I love my church not necessarily in that order but let me tell you if any of those things were threatened if any of those things were in danger of being harmed you better believe that the Marissa you see right now would not be calm cool collected oh no the earrings would come off the heels would come off the mama bear in me would come up and you would see a whole different side of Marissa if you threatened the things that I love. And that's what Jael was doing. That mama bear instinct in her was coming up. She knew she was being threatened. God's people were being threatened. And sometimes we just need to resurrect that leadership on the inside of us. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If you have a tent peg or you have a pen and a piece of paper, you have tools that you can use to to help and to save, save God's people. Which leads me to this third point I see in this story. To reclaim your leadership, you must understand that leaders look different. Let me ask you a question. Who are the heroes of this story? Is it Deborah? Is it Barack? Is it Jael? Well, the answer is all of them, because leaders look different. Deborah heard the voice of God, Barack acted on the voice of God, and Jael sealed the deal. I would have thought when Deborah prophesied that the battle was going to go to a woman, it would have gone to her, but it didn't go to her. It could have been Barack who led armies. There were men that reported to him every single day. He was the one in charge, but it didn't go to him. The hand that ended the battle, the hand that took Sisera down, was that of a stay-at-home mom. This tells me it doesn't matter what you do, that if you are in the will of God, if you are doing what he has called you to do, then he can use you so you just stay in your lane. Do what God has called you to do for the season that you are in. Maybe you're in the season of changing 75 diapers a day. It's okay. Eventually they'll be potty trained. It's just a season. Maybe you're in the season of you don't understand why you have to study English lit when you want to be an architect. It's teaching you perseverance and patience. It's just a season. Maybe you're in the season of you work all day in the office and then you deliver pizzas all night. Well, you're working to get out of debt. Good for you. It's just a season. We will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Leaders come in all forms, all shapes, all sizes, all abilities, gifts, and talents. But the bottom line is that we can be used by God. We just have to stay in our lane and run our race and allow God to use us in the way that he has called us. So leaders speak grace and truth. They trust in something bigger than themselves. They look different. And finally, leaders are willing. That's the question I want to leave you with today. Are you willing? As we close, there are two verses in Judges chapter 5, and this was written by Deborah and Barak. It says in verses 2 and 9, it says, When the princes in Israel take the lead... When the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. My heart is with Israel's princes when the willing volunteers among the people praise the Lord. Are you willing? Are you willing to trust who God says He is?